Chapter 21 of Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve. London was climbing toward a high plateau where the town-torn town earth was dusted with thin layers of snow. Far behind it, but not nearly far enough, rolled Panzerstadt Beirut, not just a threatening blur on the horizon anymore, but a huge dark mass of tracks and tears, the gold filigree work of its ornate top deck clearly visible above the smoke of factories and engines. Londoners crowded onto the aft observation platforms and watched in silence as the gap between the two cities slowly narrowed. That afternoon, the Lord Mayor announced that there was no need for panic and that the Guild of Engineers would bring the city safely through this crisis. For there had already been riots and looting on the lower tiers, and squads of beef-eaters had been sent down to keep order in the gut. "'Old Chrome doesn't know what he's talking about,' muttered one of the men on duty at the Kirk Circus elevator station that evening. "'I never thought I'd hear myself say it, but he's a fool!' Bringing poor old London way out east like this, day after day of traveling, week after week, just to get scoffed up by some old conurbation? Oh, I wish Valentine was here. He'd know what to do. Quiet, Bert, hissed his companion. Here comes some more of them. Both men bowed politely as two engineers strode up to the turnstiles. A young man and a girl, dressed identically in green plastic goggles and white rubber hoods and coats. The girl flashed a gold pass. When she and her companion had gone up into the waiting elevator, Bert turned to his friend and whispered, "'Must be important, this dew at the Engineerium. They've been swarming up out of their nests in the deep gut like a load of old white maggots. Imagine having a guild meeting at a time like this.'" Inside the elevator, Catherine sat down next to Bevis Pod, already feeling hot and self-conscious inside the coat that he had lent her. She glanced at him and then checked her reflection in the window, making sure that the red wheels they had drawn so carefully on each other's foreheads had not gotten smudged. She thought they both looked ridiculous in these hoods and goggles, but Bevis had assured her that a lot of engineers wore them these days, and the other occupant of the elevator, a fat navigator, didn't so much as look at them while the car lurched forward to top tier. Catherine had spent the whole day restlessly awaiting for Bevis to arrive with her disguise. To while away the time, she had looked up the name Hester Shaw in the indices of all her father's books, but couldn't find it. A complete catalogue of the London Museum contained one brief reference to a Pandora Shaw, but it just said that she was an out-country scavenger who had supplied a few minor fossils and pieces of old tech to the Historian's Guild, and gave the date of her, of her death seven years ago. After that, she tried looking up Medusa, only to learn that it was some sort of monster in an old story. But she didn't think Magnus Crone and his engineer engineers believed in monsters. Nobody gave a second glance as she and Bevis strode across top tier toward the main entrance of the Engineerium. Scores of engineers were already hurrying up the steps. Catherine joined them, clutching her gold pass and keeping close to the apprentice, terrified that she might lose him in the crowd of identical white coats. This will never work, she kept thinking. But the guildsman on duty at the door wasn't bothering to look at passes. She took a last look at the fading sunset behind the dome of St. Paul's, then stepped inside. It was bigger than she expected, and brighter, lit by hundreds of argon globes that hung in the great open shaft at the center of the building, like planets hanging in space. She looked around for the staircase, but Bevis tugged at her arm and said, We go up by monorail. Look. The engineers were clamoring into little monorail cars. 
Catherine and Bevis joined the line, listening to their muttered conversations and the squeaky rustle of their coats rubbing together. Bevis's eyes were wide and frightened behind his goggles. Catherine had hoped that they would be able to get a monorail car to themselves so that they could talk, but more engineers were arriving all the time, and she ended up sitting on the far side of a packed car from him, wedged tightly in with a group of Maglev Research Division. "'Where are you from, guildsperson?' asked the man sitting beside her. "'Um,' Catherine looked frantically at Bevis, but he was too far away to whisper an answer. She blurted out the first thing that came to mind. "'K-Division!' "'Old Twixie, eh?' said the man. "'I hear she's having amazing results with her new models.' "'Oh, yes, very,' she replied. Then the car moved off with a lurch, and her neighbor turned to the window, fascinated by the passing view. Catherine had expected the monorail to feel like an elevator, but the speed and the spiraling movement made it quite different, and for a moment she had to concentrate hard on not being sick. The engineers seemed not to notice. "'What do you think the Lord Mayor's speech will be about?' one of them asked. It must be Medusa, he said another. I heard they are preparing for a test. Well, let's hope it works, said a woman sitting just in front of Catherine. It was Valentine who found the machine after all, and he's only a historian, you know. You can't trust them. Oh, Valentine is the Lord Mayor's man, said another. Don't let that historian's guildmark fool you. He's as loyal as a dog, so long as we give him plenty of money and he gets to pretend that foreign daughter of his is a high London lady. Around and around they went and up past offices and workshops full of busy engineers, like an enormous hive of insects. The car stopped on level five, and Catherine climbed out, still flushed with anger at what the others had said. She linked up with Bevis again, and they all trotted together along chilly, white along chilly white corridors and through hanging curtains of transparent plastic. She could hear the babble of voices ahead, and after a few twists and turns, they emerged into an immense auditorium. Bevis led the way to a seat near one of the exits. She looked around to see if she could spot Supervisor Nemo, but it was impossible to make him out. The auditorium was a sea of white coats and bald or hooded heads, and more were pouring through the entrances all the time. Look, hissed Bevis, nudging her. That's Dr. Twix, the one I told you about. He pointed to a squat little barrel-shaped woman who was taking a seat in the front row, chattering animatedly with her, with her neighbors. All the top guilds persons are here, Twix, Chubb, Garstung, and there's Dr. Van Brantz, the head of security. Catherine began to feel frightened. If she had been unmasked at the door, she might have been able to pass it off as a silly prank. But now she was deep in the engineer's inner sanctum, and she could tell that something important was about to happen. She reminded herself that even if they discovered her, the engineers would never dare harm Thaddeus Valentine's daughter. She tried not to think about what they might do to Bevis. At last the doors were closed and the lights dimmed. An expectant hush filled the auditorium, broken only by the slithery whisper of five hundred engineers rising to their feet. Catherine and Bevis jumped up with them, peering at the stage over the shoulders of the people in front. Magnus Crome was standing at a metal lectern, his cold eyes sweeping the auditorium. For a moment he seemed to stare straight at Catherine and she had to remind herself that he couldn't possibly recognize her, not with her hood and her goggles and the tall collar of her coat turned up. "'You may be seated,' said Crone, and waited until they had settled themselves before going on. "'This is a glorious day for our guild, my friends.' A ripple of excitement ran through the auditorium, and through Catherine, too. Crone motioned for quiet. Up in the ceiling of the auditorium, a slide projector whirred into life, and a picture appeared on a screen behind his head. 
It was a diagram of an enormous, complicated machine. Medusa, announced Crone, and there was a sort of echo as all the engineers sighed. Medusa. As some of you already know, he went on, Medusa is an experimental energy weapon from the Sixty-Minute War. We have known about it for some time. In fact, ever since Valentine found these documents on his trip to America, twenty years ago. The projector screen was flickering with faded diagrams and spidery writing. Father never told me that, Catherine thought. Of course, these fragmentary plans were not enough to let us reconstruct, Medusa, Crom was saying. But seven years ago, thanks again to Valentine, we acquired a remarkable piece of old tech taken from a long-lost military site in the American desert. It is perhaps the best-preserved ancient computer core ever discovered, and it is more than that. It is the brain of Medusa, the artificial intelligence that once powered this remarkable machine. Thanks to the hard work of Dr. Splay and his comrades in B Division, we have at last been able to restore it to working order. Guildspersons, the days when London had to run and hide from other hungry cities are at an end. With Medusa at our command, we will be able to reduce any one of them to ashes in the blink of an eye. The engineers applauded wildly, and Bevis Pod nudged at Catherine to join in, but her hands seemed to have become frozen to the metal armrest of her seat. She felt giddy with shock. She remembered everything she had heard about the Sixty-Minute War, and how the ancients' terrible thunder weapons had blasted their static cities and poisoned the earth and the sky. Father would never have helped the engineers to recreate such a terrible thing. Nor would we have to go chasing after scraps like Salt Hook, Crumb continued. In another week, London will be within range of Batmunk Gompa, the shield wall. For a thousand years, the Anti-Traction League has cowered behind it, holding out against the tide of history. Medusa will destroy it at a single stroke. The lands beyond it, with all their huge static cities, their crops and forests, their untapped mineral wealth will become London's new hunting ground. You could hardly hear him now. The cheers of the engineers rolled like breakers against the wall behind him, and it slid slowly open, revealing a long window that lo looked out toward St. Paul's Cathedral and the turrets of the Guildhall. But first, he shouted, we have more pressing business to attend to. Although I had hoped we might keep Medusa hidden until we reached the shield wall, it has become necessary to give a demonstration of its power. Even as I speak, Dr. Splay's team is preparing a test firing of the new weapon. Even if Catherine had wanted to hear more, it would soon have become impossible, for Crone's audience were all talking excitedly amongst themselves. A few engineers, presumably those connected with the Medusa project, were, scurrying, were hurrying to the exits. Standing up, Catherine started pushing her way to the door, a moment later, she was out in the antiseptic corridor, wondering what to do next. Kate, Bevis Pod appeared next to her. Where are you going? People noticed you leave. I saw some guild security people watching us. We've got to get out of here, whispered Catherine. Where's the way out? I don't know, admitted the boy. I've never been to this level before. I suppose, to ha well, I suppose we'll have to find our way back to the monorail. He shook Catherine away as she tried to take his hand. No, somebody will see engineers aren't supposed to touch each other. They hurried along the tubular corridors, and Catherine said, Crom was lying. My father didn't go to America seven years ago. He just went on a little trip to the islands of the Western Ocean. And he never told me he found anything important. He'd have told me. 
If he, if he really found Medusa, he would have told me. He wouldn't want anything to do with old world weapons anyway. But why would the Lord Mayor lie? asked Bevis, who was secretly rather pleased that his guild had stumbled upon the keys to yet another ancient secret. Anyway, he didn't say your dad went to America for this thing. He just said he, requi he acquired it. Maybe he bought it from a scavenger or something. I wonder what Chrome meant about a demonstration. He stopped. They had come to the end of the corridor, and there were no monorails in sight. Three doors faced them. Two were locked, and the third led on to a narrow balcony that jutted out from the engineerium's flank, high above Paternoster Square. "'What now?' asked Catherine, hearing her own voice high and thin with fright. And Bevis just as nervously replied, "'I don't know.' She stepped out onto the balcony to catch her breath. The moon was up, but veiled by thin clouds, and a cool drizzle was falling. She pulled off her goggles and let the rain spill down her face, glad to be free of the heat and the chemical stench. She thought about father. Had he really found Medusa? Bevis was right. Crumb had no reason to lie. Poor father. He would be in the air now, somewhere above the snow peaks of Shanguo. If only she had some way to warn him that they were planning to do with his discovery. A low mechanical rumble came drifting across the moonlit square. She looked down at the wet deck plates, but could not see what was making the noise. Then something made her glance up at St. Paul's. She gasped. Bevis, look! Slowly, like a huge bud blooming, the dome of the ancient cathedral was splitting open.